Good morning, Grace. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. We get to worship together our great God. As probably most of us know, Paul, great persecutor of the faith before his encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus. Uh, Want to sit me a little meme and uh, just a phrase, and I went, oh, that is so true. And it basically, it said, Paul, stepping into eternity, was greeted by those he had martyred. That's how the gospel works. And could you just imagine that? Those that he had persecuted When he gave his life years later and went into eternity, they were there to greet him, the family of faith. A few years back, quite a few, I was a young man and and was still trying to figure out what was next for me. Uh, I was coming to a point where I was going, I don't think this was what I'm supposed to do for a career. And I was with JCPenney and then Uh, over at Toys R Us. So retail management is what I thought I was going to do, and that's what I went to college for. And so I had a few few years of experience and was kind of unsettled. Um, God had worked it out where he moved to Columbia, South Carolina, and Juan and I found a church, and we were plugging in and uh, growing in our faith there. And uh, the youth pastor was 10 years older than me, approached me one day and said, hey, can we meet for lunch to talk? And so we did, and he asked me to pray about helping with the youth ministry. And I I said, okay, and so I prayed and met with him again in a week and said, yes. Now, this was 1991. And I began to to help him, and in in that season of my life is when it came clear to me, this is what God wants me to do, is to go into the gospel ministry. And I had not thought of that before, but it's like it clicked for me. And my mentor, Johnny, became like a Paul to me. I looked at him, and and he was a great encourager in my faith and guiding me along, and I watched him as he went through the ups and downs of ministry and walking in faith, and uh, it was such an encouragement to me. And because of that, I've always been drawn to First and Second Timothy, and just been it's just been blessed in my heart. Now I look and go, I'm not that young man anymore. Uh, but it's still, it's still a great letter, and it's a great letter for all of us. Paul led Timothy to, the, to faith and began to pour into Timothy. And I just, it, 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 it's amazing to me to think of actually Paul pouring into me. And that's, that, that was a friendship that It's just incredible, and I look forward to hearing about it in eternity, Uh, Paul and Timothy. Uh, Dr. T.A. Pearson, he said this about Paul. He said, Paul, like his master, bore the burden of loneliness and the consciousness of his approaching martyrdom. But like his master, he forgot himself, and he urged Timothy to do the diligent use of the gift of God. He poured into him. So these two letters, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, I think they're very personal, very intimate. Uh, Paul, in words, uh, writing and giving uh, encouragement to Timothy. 1 Timothy, if we could look at these two really 
quick. I thought this was an interesting take. It said, in 1 Timothy, we have the ideal church that every pastor ought to have. 1 Timothy, the ideal church that every pastor ought to have. And then in 2 Timothy, we have the ideal pastor every church ought to have. And then uh, this commentator said, whoa, when both of those come together. And here's Timothy, young man, young in the... Uh, with a young church in Ephesus, leading a group of believers there in a place, a dark place. Ephesus, a leading commercial city, the capital of Asia Minor. Uh, The beliefs there were very wide-ranging and not to mention that multiple gods. A dark place, a place that needed the gospel. And here's Timothy and those believers, and Paul is giving uh, him words. Uh, in Ephesus, one of the buildings they had there, the Temple of Artemis, this building was like 425 feet long, 200-something feet wide. It had 100 and, I think, 100, yes, 127 columns that were 62 feet tall each, all the way around. It was a landmark. It was considered one of the seven wonders of the world at the time. Um, this is the place where these believers were living life here in Ephesus. Now, you move over a little bit in geography, and you have Rome, and you have uh, the Roman Empire. The leader at that time was Nero, a cruel emperor. And Nero was in power about 14 years. His first five years in power um, they would consider probably good years. He had two advisors that really gave him good words of counsel. But after five years, one passed and the other retired. And after that, it just went downhill for Nero. And, beca- and he was, became a great persecutor of people who followed Jesus. So much so that it is said that he would light believers on fire and use them as lamps during his chariot races at night. He was a cruel, cruel leader. And we will come, we'll come back to him in just a minute. Uh, back in Ephesus, there was false teaching happening. It's the early church. These are critical days for new believers. And Paul recognizes that, and he recognizes the young man, his friend, his, the one that he has poured into, is shepherding a flock there. And so he's like, I want to give encouragement to my friend in the faith. And so this is what he does. So let's read these verses again, and we'll unpack it this morning. First of all, then, I urge that petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that they may, we may lead tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. And for this, 
I was appointed a herald, an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. And a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, come and, and we uh, give thanks once again for your word and how it has been impacting uh, lives of believers for centuries. And uh, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for your word and how we can uh, be in it and know you better. And so, Father, uh, bless our time this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if I was looking at these seven verses, I, I put a top, but how not to be weak. How not to be weak. And I think we will see that here. So if, if we put, if I would break it into three uh, headings and then we'll walk through these verses. The first one is be ze a zealous prayer warrior. So be a zealous prayer warrior. And we'll see that in these first four verses. And then second, be steadfast to the mediator of prayer. Be steadfast to the mediator of prayer. And that's verses five and six. And then verse seven, be a rigorous teacher of prayer. Be a rigorous teacher of prayer. So first verse, again, first of all then, I urge that petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made to everyone. So here, first of all, now remember what, uh, Paul is, is telling Timothy, guard the gospel. Now, the gospel, the good news, the Savior has come. So he says, guard the gospel. We see that in uh, chapter 1. And here in Ephesus, these believers are living in a dark place, but they are surrounded by people who need the gospel. So he wants to encourage them to persevere. But he says, first of all, so it's kind of that, here, uh, let me, do I have your attention, Timothy? First of all, Think about what he said previously, guard the gospel. First of all, then, and then it's to follow up to fulfill the purpose. Now, quickly, verse, chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says this, As I urge you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine. And now, first of all, then, and now he's going to kind of start to elaborate how, how to do that. And I love, he says, I urge it's not, I think, I suggest, I wonder, you might. No, he's, I urge. So it's just a sense of this is seriously important. I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made. Now, I'm not sure Paul was necessarily trying to find four different ways of distinct ways of prayer. I think it was all this together and how important it is for, for the prayer. But I, I, I love it and think it's a very interesting to see, well, why did he pick these four words? Petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings. All right, so let's look at these for just a second. Petitions. In the Greek, that means to lack, to be deprived of, or to be without. So petitions. So something is lacking in someone and, they, and they're in need. And so they make a petition, they make a request because they lack. Okay, and a couple examples out of Luke. Luke 5.12. It says, while he was in one of the towns, this being Jesus, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. And he saw Jesus and he fell face down and he begged him, 
Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He was lacking health and he needed, he needed help. And so he cries out to, to Jesus. Luke 9, 37 to 40. The next day when they came down from the mount, a large crowd met him. And just then a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son because he is my only child. And a spirit seizes him and suddenly he shrieks and it throws him into convulsions until he foams at the mouth, severely bruising him and it scarcely ever leaves him. So these are uh, two examples. They're in need, they're lacking, they're desperate. Those in Ephesus needed salvation. And that little church needed to share. They needed God to do a work in their community. And the people that were there needed to see the gospel. They needed to hear it. And they needed the church to be healthy and not infiltrated with false teaching. And so uh, he's, Paul's certainly wanting to help encourage this church. So be a zealous prayer warrior. I think we're, we're going to see that these things that he's asking Timothy to do is, is, is good for us as well. The second one was prayers. Now, the, word, the, the original for this was kind of a broad term for prayer, uh, and it included general prayer, prayer requests, specific prayer requests. Um, it was just kind of in, just communicating with God, so kind of a real broad. So you had prayers, petitions, and prayers. Next, intercessions. And the root for this was to, to fall in with someone intercessions, to fall in with someone, or this one, and I love this one, to draw near so as to speak intimately. So intercessions, to draw near as to speak intimately. The picture I almost, that I have is almost like you're sitting there and your little child climbs in your lap and begins to talk with you and ask you things and all, and they're just so close and it's just you know, face to face. Intercession, so that uh, pleading, drawing near as to speak intimately. And how we, we have such a blessing that you and I can have the privilege to do that with the creator of the universe. Intercessions. Thanksgivings. And this is related to joy and grace. It's an expression of gratitude and thanks to, to another. And how that should be so critical for for the church then and the church today. Thanksgiving, we have been rescued and redeemed. And that should be a, a regular part of the prayer life of a follower of Jesus, a zealous follower, a zealous prayer warrior. It's thanksgiving to the Heavenly Father. So petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings. Petitions, again, uh, the insufficiency of the one praying and the need. The prayers, that, that, the, the devotion of the, of the one praying Intercessions, the childlike confidence in the one asking for the requests, and thanksgivings, added the gratitude and the gratefulness. First of all, then, I urge you that petitions, prayers, and thanksgiving, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for everyone. So, so as, as Paul tells Timothy this, this is to be for all. And it's quite a mix in Ephesus. They've got uh, people from all over. It's a, a pretty a key 
community and a city in that day in that area in the ancient world and people from all over are there and here the uh, prayers for all these people and it's the same today the gospel is for all no matter what country nationality it's it's for all i'm i'm grateful tuesday tuesday afternoons um the elders and i we get to together down the hall and we pray and there's there's the element of thanksgiving there's the element of lifting up requests we're partnering with you and as it was said earlier if you have a request and you want to drop in either one of those boxes that is always in our hands we're we're praying over what is written there and we consider it an honor and we want to continue to do that so tuesday afternoons in our meetings if we do nothing else that's one of the things we do is pray the other things are in addition and they're important but the prayer time is of utmost importance so those of you that are uh, feel led and share with us we're honored to do that uh, to join and partner with you Paul says this is for offered up for everyone and then he gets specific verse 2 for kings and all those who are in authority so that we may lead tranquil and quiet a quiet life in all godliness and dignity so verse 1 says, pray for everyone. Verse 2 says, for kings and all those in authority. Now we go back to who was in charge in Rome? A great persecutor of the faith. And he says, pray for those kings and those in authority. So you, and you can almost imagine praying for Nero. You think in the 1930s, Germany praying for their leader. It's almost mind-blowing, and yet Paul says to pray for the kings and those in authority. Now, some of you might be in a position of leadership at work or on a team or in church. To know that someone is praying for you and, and praying for God's wisdom and guidance in your life should be an encouragement. I know when I've had people come up and say, hey, I was praying for you, it's such a blessing in my heart. And it's uh, the same in a world that's lost. When people know that you're a believer and that you pray, it makes an impact. I had a lost friend several months back that asked me to pray for them. And he would, he would only ask that because there's, there's something that's caught his attention with that. And I told him I was honored to do it, and I did. Here to pray for those in authority. Now, we won't read these verses, but I want to give them to you so you can note them and maybe go back and read them this afternoon or tonight. Romans 13, 1 through 7, where Christian duties and paying taxes, that's fun. And then 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17, the Christians submitting to human authority. So check those two out, Romans 13, 1 through 7, and 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. But the church... We should be praying passionately for the lost. We should be praying passionately for everyone. We should be pay, praying passionately for our rulers, local, state, national. Now, in my life, from the time I was born to this moment, there have been 11 presidents of the United States. That is 24% of the presidents in the history of America. That sounds old saying that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> and some of y'all can do the math for yourselves and you, you can be sobered <laughs> so would you say probably half the time 
maybe it wasn't the one I, I voted for. So the conviction is, am I praying whether I voted or not for that one? Am I praying for them? And not just the president, but praying for our, our leaders, Congress, the leaders at state, leaders at the local level. Are we doing that? Probably a lot of us would, and I can honestly say I've not always done that, but how I should. I mean, Paul's saying pray for Nero to Timothy. So he says, why do this? Why pray for those in authority? He says, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Tranquil or peaceable in uh, um, NIV. And this refers to the absence of internal disturbances or internal distractions. And then the quiet referred to the absence of external um, distractions or disturbances. So you have the internal and the external, the tranquil and quiet. Now, this doesn't mean free of trouble. I mean, Paul addresses that in 2 Timothy two, uh, for sure. Uh, there's, there is difficulty. There is persecution. So for me, the picture was in combat, and a guy's wounded, and the medic goes, I'm going to help him. And so even in the midst of the chaos of what's going on, he runs up, and he's focused. And so the, the, even though there's craziness, the, the distracts, they're fading because his focus is on helping this man. And so he, internally, he's focused on what can I do to help him. And the external, what's going on around him is not distracting him from doing that. That's kind of the picture I have. Um, so when you and I are praying for those that are in authority and leading, I think it's a blessing and it's, it's good. And, and for us, it helps us lead tranquil and quiet lives. So peace in the midst of difficulty and persecution. And God can give us that peace. John Christendom, he pointed out, he said, it's much more difficult to hate someone when you're praying for them. Right? You know, so if we are praying for those in uh, everyone, but also those in authority, it's hard to hate them. Uh, we finished our soccer season a, a, a couple weeks ago, and uh, Chad and Joe play with me on the team. A few seasons back, we were playing, and, and I'm five foot eight soaking wet with, with shoes. And I was playing, and the guy was bigger than me, and we were right on the ball, and he, he bumped me mid-stride, so I'm, I'm totally not touching. And when he hit me, wham, I hit the ground, and I opened my eyes, and there's grass and dirt. And, and so I'm, I'm like, well, that felt good. And so I'm getting ready to get up, and I heard one of my teammates go, hey, pick on somebody your own size. <laughs> and I was smirking in the dirt. I knew who did it, and I was like, that's hilarious. And, and so I, I get up. And um, we banter about it. Um, but what I say is, on, on that is, before the game and after the game, both teams are supposed to gather to pray. And, and a lot of times, uh, and that's not always me, but a lot of times I go, Pastor, <laughs> get me to pray. But it's a reminder when, I'm, when I look around and see two teams, that these are people. They're not enemies. We're just out here. And so that I pray, when I pray, I pray for both teams. And so it's, it's, it's a reminder of how we should be praying. So we as a church, and certainly he was challenging Timothy in the church in Ephesus, but we as a church today here at Grace, should we, shouldn't we be a church that's all about praying for those 
everyone in our community, praying for those in authority, praying for our leaders. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were known for that? That we, regardless of who's in office, we're praying for them by name. It would, be a, it would be a huge blessing. And he says, so that we may lead tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Godliness is a key word in this letter, and it's basically a call back to a proper attitude before God. Proper attitude, proper conduct, godliness, and then dignity, reverence, moral dignity, a holy behavior before God and before people. So he says that, so leave that in all godliness and dignity. Why? Verse 3, this is good, and it pleases God our Savior. So you do this, it's good, it's good, and it pleases God. Can you imagine that? Pleases God, doing something to please our Father. Amazing. We, 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 we do that, right? We want to please. We want to please our coach, our boss, our teacher, the foreman, the theater director, the HOA leadership, the, you know, well, I don't know about the leader, HOA, but any, <laughs> anyway, you know, we, we want to please but can you imagine that we do something that pleases the eternal God of the universe, that we do something that resonates in his, his heart? Wow. So let's be a people that pray and, and do what Paul has asked Timothy and what he's asking us. And then it says here, God our Savior. Now, when Savior is used in this, this form in this verse, Typically in the New Testament, when this, this form is used, it's referring to Jesus. But here it's referring to the God the Father, the Heavenly Father. And the Heavenly Father chose to work out his plan of salvation through his Son. His relationship is working through the Son to work out salvation through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so we see the tie-in with the Heavenly Father. God's a saving God. And, and then Christ came and gave his life. The Holy Spirit works through the people um, and works through us. And so our God is at work. He's a saving God. A.B. Simpson, founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, was said to rise early every morning. And he had a little globe that he would pull off the shelf and he would hold it. And he would get on his knees and he would be, begin to pray. And it's said that he would pray to the point that many mornings he would weep as he was praying for the world, that he was praying for people. So again, a heart for, for others. Verse four, who and, who, and that's God, who wants everyone to be saved and, to come, and come to the knowledge of the truth. So God wants. Now God's our savior, he, des, he desires something. He wants all to come to faith. He wants everyone to be saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin and being enslaved to sin. God desires the salvation of all people, but doesn't guarantee that all will be saved. Thomas Lee said this. He said, God will not overrule, override the reluctance or opposition of individuals bent upon pursuing their own way in defiance of God. God's not going to force it. 
And people are going to reject him, and he, he's just going to let them what they chose. He says, that God wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. What's the knowledge of the truth? The truth is a synonym for the gospel, the gospel, the good news of Christ. So uh, come to a knowledge of the saving grace of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, a good reminder. For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. And then John 3, 36, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. And then Romans 2, verse 4, or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Now, when we think of our responsibility and God's sovereignty, sometimes that's quite a mystery, quite a balance to picture that. How does that all work? One quick example I saw uh, and read Scripture, right? Exodus 20, 13, it says, do not murder. And yet God was sovereign even when his son was murdered. God knew what happened. He ordained it would happen. It's quite a mystery. You You had can spin in it. Um, but our God is great. And even if we, in our humanness, sometimes it's hard to, to comprehend it, he is faithful. And I think as we continue our journey of faith, that God continues to reveal himself to us and help us understand more and more of who he is. So be zealous, be a zealous prayer warrior. Let's be a people that pray and we don't hold back. So come election time in a year, we, if we have the same one, we're going to pray for him. If we have a different one, we're going to pray for him or her or whatever. We are going to pray and be a people that pray for everyone and pray for those in authority. So be a zealous prayer warrior. Second, be steadfast to the mediator of prayer. Okay, five, verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. There's one God. Now remember, we're in Ephesus, there's lots of false gods they are worshiping and talking about, and here's this little church, and here's Paul who's emphasizing once again, there is only one true God. And so these false teachings and false teachers needed to be uh, corrected or needed to be pointed out that, that what they're saying is untrue. There's one God, and that's one of the tenets of Judaism that they would say every, every day in the Shema. We are, we are worshiping one true God. Now, the mediator, who is that? It's the go-between. Who is that? The advocate between a pure, holy God and sinful humanity. The advocate, the mediator, Christ Jesus. And here in this verse, it emphasizes his humanity says the man Christ Jesus, but the letter itself certainly emphasizes his divinity. And so Jesus can identify with you and me. He can identify with those believers growing their faith, but yet in the midst of difficulty and persecution in Ephesus, Jesus was their mediator as well. And he can relate. Verse 6, 
who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. Now, a ransom, the price paid to redeem a slave. In sinful humanity, there was a price that sinful humanity could not pay. But Jesus did. He, paid, he gave himself, and so the ransom was paid, and it was paid for all. And a testimony at the proper time. So at God's timing, the price paid at the cross. Before that, he had the priests, and they would be praying, and they'd teach, and they'd offer sacrifices on behalf of the people and to please God and receive forgiveness. But this was short-term because mankind continues to sin, continues to rebel, and they would constantly just have to keep doing this over and over again, but not any longer with Christ. And so at the testimony at the proper time, and here that testimony of what happened on that that hill, Golgotha, and then three days later, an empty tomb, that is still being told 2,000 years later. And praise be to God. So Jesus, our Savior. So be steadfast to the mediator of prayer. So you and I, as we pray, and we give thanks and give glory to God and His Son, who is our mediator between us and the Father. What a blessing. So let's be steadfast for him. And then last, be a rigorous teacher of prayer. Verse 7, for I, and this is Paul, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And what is a herald? It's one who publicly announces an important message. And a herald... And um, it made me think of a, a scene where I, I saw in a movie where the herald would proclaim. You had one that was very monotone and very just kind of made the announcement. And then you had the other one that just had all the adjectives and the, the voice inflection. And they, they were amazed. And they were like, that's a good herald. Well, here Paul says, I was appointed a herald. So what, what is he heralding? He's heralding the gospel, the good news. And he says, I'm an apostle. Apostle, two kinds in the early church. The original 12, the disciples in the gospel sent out by Jesus in the, in the earthly ministry and then later confirmed by the risen Christ, the apostles. And then apostles were sent out by the early church. And this, uh, these, these would be like missionaries that had their authority from the churches. The church sent them out to these communities. And Paul, kind of like in between these two, but he was, he was an apostle. God impacted him on the road to Damascus when Christ said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And Saul, life radically changed, and he received forgiveness and became a follower. And now instead of a persecutor of believers, he was now one of them and ultimately would be persecuted and imprisoned and ultimately martyred for his faith. And yet he was faithful to the end. And we'll see that when we're uh, in 2 Timothy as he uh, closes out this earthly life in 2 Timothy and in sharing with uh, him in that letter. So be a rigorous teacher of prayer. So we need to be people that are praying individually, praying as a family in your home, praying as a corporate family. We do that on Sunday mornings. We also do it periodically during the year. There's one coming up in a couple weeks where we'll come in here and what, 
what a wonderful blessing to come as a family of faith and to be in this room and pray. And we have a lot to pray for, right? We do. All right. Pray with confidence. Teach with boldness. All right. Be a zealous prayer warrior. Be steadfast to the mediator of prayer. Be a rigorous teacher of prayer. So how not to be weak? Pray. Prayerlessness is weakness. So let's be a people that are seeking after our Heavenly Father. Our community needs the gospel. There's so many people that are so close. Uh, they, just, they just need to see Christ in us, in our actions and in our words. And let us pray that they would open up and soften up and be ready and receptive to receive forgiveness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you again just giving thanks to you. Thank you for the words of Paul and his encouragement to uh, that church in Ephesus and to Timothy. And Lord, we here at Grace, here in Latson, Somerville, Goose Creek, North Charleston, Charleston, Lord, in this Monk's Corner, Lord, may we be a church that is seeking after you, that we are on our knees in prayer. Lord, that we are crying out to you because we are needy. We are lacking. And Lord, we want to be close with you and, and just be in that moment of intimacy where we can just share our deepest thoughts and our desires and our hurts. And, and Lord, that we can lift up requests and petitions for others. And so, Father, help us to do that. Help us to be that church to be those people, to be those husbands, to be those wives, to be those sons and daughters, grandparents. Lord, to be a praying people. And Lord, for each of us, uh, I pray that you would um, stir our hearts and then, Lord, as you direct, that you would uh, encourage us to be obedient and to follow you. And uh, Lord, you are worthy of our worship and you're worthy of all glory. And so we thank you. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.